Hello, this is Jason Mann with the European Baptist Missionary and Friends podcast. But I think there are some who have looked at ministry and saw the difficulties and some of the hardships and, and some of the opposition that, that folks in ministry face. And uh, they just kind of write it off and say, that's not for me. This podcast is an opportunity to spend time with missionaries serving the Lord in Europe, as well as pastors here in the States and what God is doing in their lives. Today, we're spending time with my friend, Matt Wood out of Clovis, New Mexico. We're gonna look at ministry and doing it in our power versus uh, doing ministry in God's power. I think it's something that we all struggle with, so it's an encouragement to look at God's word and see exactly how we must remain in the power of God. I'm Matt Wood, uh, pastor of the High Plains Baptist Church in Clovis, New Mexico. I've uh, been here, uh, August will be about five years. So I'm originally from North Carolina and then uh, surrendered to ministry there back in 2011 and then ended up out in Arkansas uh, for about four and a half years, uh, two and a half of those years on staff there. Uh, with uh, Pastor Claude Slade, and then came out here to the church in New Mexico in Clovis uh, about five years ago. So, now I was just with you for a conference in I think was that March. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we do our missions conference every March annually. So. Yeah, and I didn't think to ask then what was the status of the church when you took it. Uh, the church was without a pastor for a little while. Uh, he he was still to some degree involved. Uh, so so I mean he was. Uh, uh, so he was uh, kind of up late in years and was having some health issues. And so he uh, felt like it was time for him to retire. And then he was kind of trying to help assist them a little bit in the process of finding a new pastor. And uh, so, so he was kind of involved with that. And then he would still come back and preach, uh, you know, he, here and there. He wasn't here every Sunday, but he was back and forth. Uh, but but actually, by the time I I, I was candidating for the church, uh, that that relationship had kind of been severed a little bit. Uh, just different reasons that I won't go into, but uh, th that relationship had been severed a little bit. And so the church had kind of been without a pastor for a few months. And uh, there was a couple of uh, leaders in the church that, that kind of were kind of taking the leading role uh, at that point. So, but the church was healthy as far as, you know, financially, the church was healthy, uh, very, very consistent with the giving and things like that. You know, missions was, was doing well. Uh, the, the former pastor is the one who actually established Faith Promise Missions, so he uh, he, he was a big part of that. So he, he did an excellent job. And, um, you know, so we came in and, and things were healthy. Definitely, you could see some cracks of, you know, the possibility of some division developing, you know, long term if, if there wasn't some leadership. But we came in, folks jumped, jumped right behind us, and God's just kind of been, been working ever since. We've not really had... Uh, no, no contention, no conflict, really, you know, you know, a few, few small things with, you know, a family or two here or there, but nothing significant. So the Lord's just blessed. Well, the small things are normal part of ministry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you expect that, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's the big things that get you by surprise. Yes, yes. Yeah, very good. Well, brother, if you have a little devotion or something that you could share with us, that would be uh, wonderful. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, what, what I kind of want to share is something, something we've been dealing with with the church for uh, the last number of weeks. And uh, really, the, the reason is it's it's kind of what God's been working in my heart with. And so just kind of share uh, a little bit of that thought and uh, just kind of 
Uh, I'll go to this passage of scripture, but then I want to kind of bring in another thought or two along with that, uh, with, with kind of the nature of this. But, uh, you know, the thing the Lord's really been dealing with me lately is just really uh, with, with faith and uh, and primarily in the context of uh, dependence. And, uh, you know, it's so it such a natural thing so many times for us to become self-dependent and not really be God dependent. And, and it's not that we don't believe in God. It's not that we don't uh, trust God, but but we just kind of get in that mode of self-defendance. And so, uh, you know, this is kind of what w- was the beginning of a probably, probably now a six or eight week kind of emphasis on faith. But I just kind of want to share a little bit of the beginning of it. And it comes from Mark chapter nine. And so Mark chapter nine, verse 14. And I'll just read the first few verses and make a few comments along the way. Uh, but Mark chapter nine, verse number 14, kind of familiar for most people. And it says, uh, when he came to his disciples, so this is Jesus coming back to his disciples. Uh, this is immediately after the uh, transfiguration. So they just had that wonderful experience, the the uh, kind of the inner circle there with uh, Peter, James and John. And then he comes back down to the other disciples. And that's kind of where this picks up. And so, so when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway, all the people, when they beheld him, and of course, that's talking about Jesus, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And uh, one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. And then just very, very plainly, it says, and they could not. And so... I thought about that passage, and uh, you know, I think there's there's so many valuable lessons in this. But uh, you, you look at this, and you kind of see these disciples, and they, they've already been given power from the Lord. You know, if you uh, if you go back to Mark chapter six, uh, there's kind of the point where Jesus first really, uh, so if you know about the ministry of Jesus, he kind of trains them, teaches them, and then ultimately sends them out uh, kind of independently, and then they'll come back, report back on on what. Uh, has happened. And so that's kind of what happens in Mark 6. It says, he called unto him the 12, began to send them forth by two and two. And this is Mark 6, verse 7. And uh, he gave them power over unclean spirits. And so that's, it's kind of interesting that that specifically is mentioned, right? The unclean spirits, he gave them power over unclean spirits. And then in Mark 6, 13, just a few verses later, they come back, they're reporting back to the Lord. And it says, they cast out many devils and anointed with oil, many that were sick and healed them. So, so they, Jesus gives them power. They go out and they do it. But then a short time later, you know, just three chapters later, here they are and they're faced with this man. And he comes to him. He says, man, my son is is demon possessed. I need help. Nobody's been able to help me. And then they make an attempt at it. And who knows what that looked like? You know, I've got a bit of imagination. So I imagine, you know, maybe they're there and they're over the guy and, and you know, they're doing it just like they've done it every time before. All right, uh, cast out the demon, or they, you know, whatever their they, their wording was, or whatever, and they try it, nothing happens, and then you you got to figure maybe there, there's a group of nine of them there, so maybe he says, hey, it didn't work for me. How about you give it a shot? <laughs> and he brings in another guy, and the other guy tries, and he's like, man, no, nothing, nothing's happening. It's not working, you know. And it's uh, and then of course by that time the scribes, the Pharisees are there, and uh, you know it says they were questioning with them. And you and I, we don't have to wor- wonder about what they were saying. I mean, we know right. what, what the theme of the conversation was. Hey, what's going on here? We thought you guys were 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 able to do this. We thought you guys were capable of this. Hey, you, you got some kind of a problem. And, uh, yeah. you know, so, so certainly the disciples probably by this point are just confused. They're discouraged. They're, they're probably thinking, man, what in the world? We, we've done this, you know, I don't know how many times, but but multiple times before, right? They cast out many devils. So they've done this before. And so they have to be wondering themselves, man, what is, what's going on? What's the problem here? 
And so uh, thankfully, I'm sure they were very relieved when Jesus shows up, right? <laughs> I thought, Ooh, okay, we're, we're off the hook. Now we can just point them to him, right? Right. And so since Jesus shows up straight with all the people they beheld him, they were greatly amazed. They run to him. So, of course, that kind of takes the attention off of them, puts the attention back on Jesus. And uh, so then, you know, Jesus asked the question, uh, asked the scribes, what question you with them? But before the scribes can even give an answer, here comes the father. And he says, hey, here's what happened. I brought my son to your disciples and they couldn't do it. And, uh, and again, this is something for the disciples and probably all of us have experienced this at some point uh, in ministry is, you know, things that we should be able to do, that, that we expect to happen. And then we, we kind of do what we've always done and we don't see any results, right? We don't see anything happen. And uh, so, so it's kind of diving down to figure out what the problem is. And so then what I think is really interesting is you come to verse number 19. And, you know, if we kind of look at most people's perception of Jesus, we, we would expect that, uh, you know, Jesus would come up and he'd put his arm around the disciples and he'd say, hey, guys, it's OK. Every, everything's, you know, man, I, I know you tried and, and you know, hey, was, you, you gave it a good effort. You know, that's kind of what most people would expect. And it's, it's like the total opposite, right? So you come to verse number 19, and he answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And you got to think for the disciples, that that hit hard, right? <laughs> like Basically, he's just lumping them in with all the rest of this crowd of faithless generation. And I think that kind of gets the hint at, at kind of where he's going with all this. But Oh, faithless generation, you know, man, what a what a hard rebuke. And, you know, the disciples probably taken aback by that. But no question, that's what they needed. Right. Because that's the issue. Right. The issue here is faith. And uh, so, so then you kind of see that develop over the next several verses. So he gives them that stern response, kind of unexpected. Uh, but, you know, the, the reality is Jesus never makes a mistake. It's not like Jesus just was really frustrated and, and caught up in the flesh in the moment here. No, he, he gave the exact response that was warranted. Right. And so then you come to verse number 20 and it says, and they brought uh, him. So they bring the boy unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. No question why that happens. Right. As soon as the demon knows this is Jesus, man, he's, he's, he knows his time is up, right? That, that's it. Jesus is not going to fail. The disciples may have failed, but Jesus certainly is not going to fail. And so uh, Jesus has this conversation with the father. He asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child, so you got to think the disciples are kind of witnessing all this. They're witnessing this conversation. And uh, the father says, uh, you know, it came to him as a, when he was a child and oft times it hath cast him to the fire and the waters to destroy him. And then the wording of the next phrase is really interesting, too, because he says, but if thou canst do anything, help us, have mm -hmm. compassion on us and help us. Right. And so that's that's interesting because there are other places in the scripture. You know, there's a uh, example of a leper that comes to Jesus in Mark one, uh, verse 40. And it says the leper came to him, beseeching him, kneeling down to him and saying unto him, if thou wilt thou canst make me clean. And of course, that's a very different approach, right? He's basically saying, Lord, I know you've got the ability to do it. And if you want to, you could heal me. And so that man, of course, he was healed. But in this case, the, the man comes to Jesus and he basically approaches him with the, with the mentality of, Jesus, I don't even know if you can do anything, <laughs> but if you can, help us, you know? And so it, it's kind of demonstration of of even the father's lack of faith. And probably a lot of that stems from what he just saw with the disciples, right? Here are these disciples that are claiming the name of uh, Jesus and, and supposed to be followers of his, supposed to be able to do this. They weren't capable of doing it. And so 
the father, you can see kind of the lack of faith from him. Uh, so he says, uh, you know, if thou canst do anything, Jesus, if you can do anything at all, have compassion on us and help us. And then you got to love Jesus' response, right? So then you come to verse number 24 and or verse number 23. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst, now that's kind of interesting, right? He just asked Jesus, if you can, Jesus, do something. And then Jesus now kind of turns it back around on him and says, hey, if you can. And what he says is, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And so immediately we kind of get the idea that th this situation is not limited by what Jesus is capable of. Now, we know that because Jesus is God in the flesh, right? So, so he has all power. But the limitation of the situation is not on what Jesus is capable of. It's on whether this man is, is going to believe, right? And so he uh, says, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And of course, the disciples are witnessing this whole conversation too. So this is, I think, just as much as this is a conversation with the Father, it's also a conversation that's going to be to the disciples' benefit, right? They're, they're going to learn a valuable lesson through this. And so he says, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. But then he follows it up with, help thou mine unbelief. And uh, probably every one of us can relate to that, right? We, we come to a point, we say, Lord, I know you're capable of this. Uh, but, but then at the same time, in the back of our mind, and we do this a lot in our prayer lives even, right? As we begin to pray for something that is kind of beyond the, the realm of the normal, it's something that, that, you know, it would take a supernatural working of God to accomplish. And we begin to pray and we say, God, I know you're able to do this, but in the back of our mind, how many times are we thinking, yeah, there's not really any chance God's going to do this. I mean, it's kind of the, the nature we approach a lot of things. And yeah. so uh, that's kind of what's happening here. And so certainly we can relate to this, Father. But he says, Lord, I believe. And, and so there is that element of faith there. And so he says, help thou mine unbelief. And so he recognizes the doubt, the, the, the fears, the anxieties that are still there. But he says, Lord, in this moment, I believe that you're capable of doing this. And so uh, then uh, the next verse, verse 25, it says, when Jesus saw the people came running together, uh, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And so, of course, Jesus steps in. He speaks to this man, says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And then the man says, I believe. And then instantly, right, Jesus responds. He works, casts out the demon. Uh, people think for a minute that the, that the child is dead, but Jesus reaches out. I mean, you got to imagine the scene there. Jesus reaches out, grabs the child by the hand, picks him up, and he's absolutely healed, right? He, he's, it's as though nothing ever happened. And so uh, then kind of where you get down to really the, the application, especially for those of us in ministry, says when he was coming to his house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And I think that's, you know, kind of funny because I think that's probably exactly what we would have done, right? Uh, if we were there in this situation, we, we tried, we failed, and then we watched Jesus come in and without hesitation is able to do exactly what needed to be done. And then you, you get the time now where you can get alone. And, you know, of course, they weren't going to ask this question in front of the scribes and the Pharisees and the people that were there. But once they have Jesus alone, uh, they ask him, why could not we cast him out? Hey, what was the issue here? And so uh, then it says, and he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. 
And, uh, you know, I, I think the danger of this is we look at this and we say, well, okay, I know what we need. We need more prayer. We need more fasting. And there, there's a truth to that, right? But mm-hmm. th- th- there's something a little bit deeper here that I think we need to get, th- that we need to get hold of. And that's, that's what God's really been working in my heart about and what prayer and fasting really are. So, so I think we understand that God, uh, when we pray, we're not sharing anything with God that he doesn't already know. Right. And so they're, they're you know, and, and logically, we might even ask the question, you know, why, why is it even necessary for me to pray? Uh, what, what's, what's the purpose of this? Why, why is it that God all throughout the scripture says we should pray, right? Pray without ceasing. I mean, keep, keep praying until you get an answer, you know, all the, all these things. And so uh, the same thing is true with fasting, right? We think, well, okay, I know how I'm going to get an answer here. I know, I know how I'm going to get God to do this. And that's kind of how we approach fasting sometimes, right? Is uh, if I do this, God has to work. And uh, you know, that, that's still not, not really the point. Like uh, I have so, so, I take ibuprofen and the pain go away. Right. Yeah, that's it. I mean, we we think this is the solution, right? But but so often we're doing it in the flesh, right? We're just doing it because we think that's the answer. But really, you know, when I come to this passage, what what it seems to me, and and I think the scripture bears this out, is prayer and fasting are are the evidence of something, right? So so how do the disciples get themselves in this situation, right? We know in Mark 6, they go out, they're casting out devils, they're healing people. Jesus gave them this power to do it. I mean, they're doing it in his name, under his authority. And so they're going out and they're doing this. And then how do we get from there to this chapter where there's one demon that doesn't seem anything any more, you know, anything out of the ordinary as compared to what they've already done. And for me, it's very easy because I've been there, right? So, so I know exactly how they got here. Because here's what here's what happened. They went out. They began to cast out those devils and demons. And initially, man, they were they were absolutely dependent upon. They knew there's no way we're going to be able to do this on our own, right? They'd never done this before. It wasn't something they went out like, oh yeah, we got this, man. This is no big deal. No, initially it was we we've never done this before. Hey, what do we do? And then they uh, use Jesus' name. They operate in His authority and they cast out demons. But then. Over a period of time, after that happens on multiple occasions, probably what happened is exactly what so often happens to us, is that they came to a point where they said, you know what, we've pretty much got this thing figured out. Uh, we, we pretty much know how to do this. I mean, yeah. we're we're pretty capable, right? And uh, that, that so often happens to us in ministry, right? I mean, as a pastor, I, I, I find myself slipping into that same mode of, you know, man, I do the same type of things every week. I, I deal with the same type of issues. You're... Uh, and you kind of come to a point where you you just think, man, I know how to handle this. I, I know how to deal with this. I, I know how to do this. Uh, I know how to prepare that outline. I, I know how to deal with that, that that problem. I know how to deal with that issue. And we get to a point where we, we become self-dependent. And really, it's it's hard to recognize except for the fact of in this area of prayer and fasting. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the I, I got statistics uh, from when I preached this. and. Uh, the statistics say that uh, the average Christians, let me find this here, the, uh, the average Christian spends less than 10 minutes a day in prayer. So that's just your average Christian. And so we think, well, you know, I mean, that's, you know, that's just kind of an evidence of the state of Christianity. But, you know, us pastors, us ministry leaders, we spend a whole lot more time. Well, there's another study out there that says the, that show the average pastor spends around 30 minutes a day in prayer maximum. Mm-hmm. 
And that's on Mondays, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Until until everything kind of rushes in and, and we get busy and, and right. But but here's the thing, the the prayer and fasting, it, it's not, you know, the, there are people that have the idea of like, well, I mean, if I would pray six hours a day, then God would have to work. That that's not really it, right? It's not necessarily the length of your prayers. What what your prayer and fasting really is, is an expression of your dependence on God. So, so essentially what I'm doing when I, when I don't pray is I'm saying, God, I got this. I can handle it. I mean, I, there's no question to me. That's what was happening for the disciples here, that they approach the situation. This man comes to him. And I mean, you can almost imagine these guys by now, after all, everything they've experienced, and this father comes to him and he says, hey, my son's been demon possessed. The demon's trying to kill him. I need you to do something. And you can imagine those guys just probably thought, yeah, we got this. No big yeah. deal, man. We, we're going to take care of it. Don't you worry about a thing. We're, we're going to cast that demon out. It'll never bother you again. No problem. Mm-hmm. And then nothing happens, right? Uh, because now they come to the point where they're not depending on God anymore. They're depending on themselves. And I think the same thing happens to us in ministry, man. I, I see so many people that struggle in ministry and uh, ministries that are in decline. And I can't help but think that a lot of that, and I know even from speaking personally, using myself as an example, uh, it's when I get comfortable and I say, yeah, God, I, I've got this. I, I you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I mean, I appreciate the help, but, you know, I, I, I mean, I pretty much got all this whole ministry thing figured out. I've got this whole preaching thing figured out. Uh, you know, I've got the whole counseling thing figured out. And, and you know, Lord, you, you don't have to worry about it. I, I've got this under control. Right. And, you know, then we reserve, you know, oh, now now something really big comes up. Lord, I'll come to you. But otherwise, you know, I, I can pretty much handle the day-to-day stuff. And, and that's where our prayer life begins to taper off. Uh, certainly there's no fasting or anything like that involved, but all that is, is an expression of God, I don't need you. Mm-hmm. And, and then the opposite is true, right? The, those times when we're desperate for God's help, we're like this father. And we come to a point where we realize, I mean, this father, he's probably tried everything, right? He's probably tried every remedy he could think of. He's probably been to every doctor he could, he, he could go to. And he's come yeah, to the sure. point where he's just at a, at a point of utter desperation, right? And uh, that, that's something the Lord's the country, been turned back to God. Yeah, right. I mean, that's it, right? It, that you come to this point where there, there's no other place to turn, right? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of times that's where God has to bring us to, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That's it. I mean, that's that's the truth, right? And so that's the reality of where God just personally has really been working in my heart is this this idea of self dependence or God dependence. And I find myself so often sliding back into that, that self-dependence. And man, one, one thing that's just been the theme of my prayer life recently is, Lord, I want to come to the place where, where I'm utterly dependent on you. And I recognize my own weakness, my own insufficiency. And, and I recognize that, that I don't need you just in the big things, but I need you in everything, right? I, I mean, even the decisions where I can look and assess the situation and say, oh, yeah, I've been through this before. I know what to do. Even in those situations, man, I need God. I need God to work. I need him to move because it may be, uh, you know, there's countless scriptural examples of the same situation, but God works in a different way, right? I mean, I think of David and and some of the times when they were approaching battle, there were times when God says, yes, just go confront the enemy. I'm going to deliver them into your hands. There's other times when God said, no, wait, wait right here. I'm going to do something different this time. I want you to go over here. I want you to wait until this set time. And then I want you to approach the enemy from this particular position and, and so God doesn't always work the same way. And we kind of fall into that just depending on what we know and our own intellectual ability and all of that. And, and we just say, well, I got this figured out. And so 
you know, that that's just something God's really been working in my heart. And, uh, you know, that kind of fed into uh, another passage of scripture that, that just give, I uh, just want to read like a, a couple of verses over there, but in James chapter one and James chapter one, of course, is dealing with uh, uh, trials. And so um, uh, you come to that and he uh, says there in James chapter one, uh, my brethren, in verse number two, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith, work of patience, let patience have your perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And uh, w- one of the things that that I challenge uh, our congregation with and that, that God really challenged me with is kind of how, how do we define a trial? Because a lot of times we think of trials of the cancer diagnosis, the unexpected loss of a loved one, the you know, the big things that happen in life. Uh, but I think when you really study the scripture, a trial is just a test, right? And so a trial is kind of any moment in my life where I come to the point where I'm going to choose self-dependence or I'm going to choose God dependence. And so we think about that. And if we, if we think about it from that perspective, we experience trials all the time, right? I mean, every day of our lives, we're put in a situation where essentially God is testing us to see whether we're going to trust ourselves or we're going to trust him, whether whether we're going to depend on what we know and, and our own abilities, or we're going to depend on him. And uh, the, the verse that really caught my attention here uh, was uh, in verse number six of that same chapter. Uh, he talks about, let, you know, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God and he'll give it. And then in verse number six, he says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and toss. And then he says in verse number seven, and this is the verse that really just just hammered home the point. For let not that man, the man that's wavering between those two opinions, it talks about a double-minded man a little bit later in the in the passage, but let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. And that wavering is just kind of going between those two opinions. I'm going to do things my way or I'm going to do things God's way. Am I going to depend on what I know or am I going to depend on God, right, and, and him leading me? And so, you know, that's just really something that God has been working in my life personally and is just bringing me to the place where I, I, I'm not trusting myself and my own intuition. You know, I, I told people even, uh, I use the illustration when, when we preach through some of this, uh, you know, I, I grew up and my dad, you know, he always had, you know, some nicer vehicles, but every now and then, of course, something would tear up. And uh, my dad, his first instinct was just always, man, take it straight to the dealer, right? The, just take it to the dealer, let them deal with it. Uh, and I'm not that way. So I, you know, my, my wife's van, when all this was going on, my wife's van, uh, she took off down the road, got a few minutes down the road. She calls me up and says, hey, my van is running really rough. The check engine light's flashing. I don't know what's going on. I'm bringing it back to the house. And uh, so, so I get under the hood and, uh, you know, I don't take it to the dealership. I get under the hood and I'm trying to diagnose the problem, right? I'm trying to figure it out and uh, figure out it's the spark plugs. And so, uh, you know, man, I start to start to work on the job. I realize I don't have the tools. I don't have the equipment I need. And so I go get the equipment I need. I go get the spark plugs. And by the end of the night, I got the spark plugs changed. The van is running right again. And the danger of that is I take that same mindset and apply it to ministry. Mm-hmm. I just got to figure it out. You know, I just got to get in here and get my hands dirty and I'll figure it out. I'm going to figure out a way to make this work. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but that's so, so contradictory to, to the, to the way that God wants us to operate. Right. What God wants me to do in those types of situations is look to him, right. And learn to depend upon him and uh, the double-mindedness in that passage, you know, I used to think that was kind of uh, this idea of somebody that was being drawn to sin and tempted to sin, and then somebody on the other side that's that's trying to live a godly life, and that double-minded in that sense. Uh, but that's not really what it is. The double-minded uh, the, in that passage is really talking about somebody who's depending on themselves or depending on God. 
And, uh, you know, and it kind of is proven out by the faith there, right? Because the faith aspect of it is this, do I really believe God? Do I believe that God is good? Do I believe that God knows what's best? Do, Do I believe that his will is always best? And if I really believe that, then I'm going to depend on him and I'm not going to trust my own intuition. I'm not going to trust my own abilities. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look to him in every situation and, and say, Lord, I, I know I've been through this scenario before as a pastor, as a preacher, but Lord, I still, I know I need you and I can't do it without you. Lord, I, I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. I need you to show me what to do in these, in these circumstances. So, um, you know, that's just something God's really, really been working in my heart over the last several weeks and months. So, Amen. That's good stuff. And I was thinking the uh, if the disciples did cast out this demon and they were successful again, uh, it would have been in their name, not the name of Christ. Exactly. Yeah. And therefore, Christ would not have gotten the glory due yeah. him. And uh, yeah, plus I'm, I'm dealing with the uh, boy brought home. Yeah. This is a different story. Yeah. And the story is Jesus healed me, not yeah. Peter, Paul, or not Paul. Well, but even you think about the. the end result of this this event in that father's life. You know, that father, I got a feeling that uh, when he came to another circumstance, his question was would have been very different, right? It was no yeah. more, Lord, if you can do something. No, it was, Lord, I know you can do something because I've seen you do it. Yeah. And, and I'm going to trust you. If, you. if you were able to do that, I know you can do this, right? Yeah. And he came away, man, his faith was strengthened, no question, right? And then the disciples came away knowing, oh, man, we we, we botched it, right? Because we, we were trusting in ourselves. We weren't we weren't trusting in him. And, and it was a valuable lesson for them, too, right, that failure. And sometimes that's what, uh, you know, God does is, is, is let us fall flat on our face sometimes. And we realize you can't do it without me, right? You need me. No matter how uh, intelligent you think you are, no matter how great your abilities are, you know, sometimes our success— is one of the greatest hindrances to our ministries <laughs> because yeah. that's what, you know, I told our congregation, I said, you know, through, through the years, you know, whether it was school or whether it was athletics or other different things, you know, I've always kind of had at least some measure of success in, in you know, just about anything that I've attempted. And the danger is that I take that and I apply it to ministry and say, well, I've been successful everywhere else. I just figure it out. I just apply myself. I just give a little more effort. And, and, you know, we think that's the solution. But God has just been teaching me it's not the solution. The solution is to look to him and, and to depend upon him to a greater degree. That's what the trials are all about, right? Every every trial that comes in our life, the end result uh, of what should take place is that it would cause us to depend upon him to a greater degree, right? That's that's what trials are designed to do is we come to a trial and we say, Lord, I don't know. How, I don't know how to approach this situation. I don't know what to do here. Uh, I don't know where to turn. And so, Lord, I'm just going to turn to you and I'm going to trust that you're going to work. And that's what he wants us to do. Right. Um, But even what you were talking about a moment ago, you know, this kind of fed into even uh, we we were preaching through the book of Judges on Sunday nights and uh, the sort of Gideon, you know, is where we were at. And so it really fit very nicely with where we're at now, because that's what God did to Gideon. Right. He has a force of thirty two thousand men and God shrinks it to three hundred men. And the whole reason was because if those thirty two thousand go out and get the victory, they're going to claim victory. When right. 300 go out and get the victory, they're going to point to God and say, God did it, right? Yeah. And that's what God wants in all of our lives, right, is that he gets the glory. So He's a jealous God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He says, I, I'll not share my glory with another, right? So, Yeah, yeah, he will not. That's great. Good stuff. Very encouraging and I always need that reminder. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think all of us do, especially, you know, 
uh, at the, the further along we get in ministry, I think the more often we need to be reminded of that, you know, because yeah, we, we can get so dependent on, hey, I've seen God work before. I've, I've, I've enjoyed success before. And uh, we just think, well, I'm going to implement the same strategy, the same plan. And, and man, it's going to work out just like it did the last time. Right. <laughs> well, I got two more questions I always ask at the end. Yep. One is uh, from your perspective, uh, why are there not more people? surrendering to ministry, uh, pastoral and missions and so forth. And uh, if you could answer that. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a couple of couple of things at issue there. Uh, I, I think primarily uh, the, the, for, for some, and I think this is probably a smaller issue than maybe what some would make it out to be kind of constantly dealing with. But, you know, the Lord's good and, and ministry is great. And so I think that's part of it. But, but you know, I think the more that I look at it, the more that I see, uh, I think, and I hate to say it like this, but I think mostly it's it's a failure uh, of a previous generation in that, uh, and not talking about necessarily a previous generation of preachers and pastors and missionaries or anything like that, but I'm talking about uh, down at the level of the home, mm-hmm. right? So, so I think, unfortunately, what we're seeing, and uh, I kind of dealt with this even on Sunday for Mother's Day. Uh, as we were there in Deuteronomy 6 and talking about, you know, how God, uh, Moses is giving instruction to them. And he says, I want you to uh, to take in what, what you have, get it in your heart. And then I want you to make sure to communicate that to your children and make sure it gets in their heart. And then to your children's children and, and so on and so forth, all the way down through the generations. And I think kind of what's happened is the Christianity as a whole uh, has become kind of very watered down. And so, that, so we've lost a whole lot of that. And, uh, you know, I, I think most parents today, you know, just in all honesty, they, they don't want their kids going into ministry, right? And, and it's never really presented as an option. Uh, you know, I, I think we ought to, as believers, we ought to take the mindset that, that that's the first option, right? It is that ministry should be the first option. Now, if you uh, pray and you seek the Lord and, and, and you're try, trying to seek His will, and he clearly reveals to you that that he doesn't have full time ministry is not what he has for you, but he has some other career, some other uh, ty- type of uh, uh, path forward for your life. Then great, but but I think we've kind of went away from that, and and it's almost gotten to a point where ministry is kind of the last option, right? It's like, well, we we don't want you to be a missionary, we don't want you to be a pastor or a preacher or anything like that. And so I think that that plays a big role too. It's good thoughts. It's interesting how every single person has different answers for the same question. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and there, and that's the thing, man. There's, there's so many factors that go into that. And, uh, and I, I just, uh, and I think a lot of it comes back to that faith thing, you know, of uh, uh, we, we've got uh, this upcoming Sunday, we're going to have a graduation themed Sunday. We've got a couple of folks graduating from high school and um, you know, one thing that I'm going to deal with with them is, you know, we've, we've got to trust God. And it comes right back to that aspect of faith of uh, there are a lot of people that think, man, if I go into ministry, I'm going to be broke. I'm not going to have anything and I'm going to have such a hard life and all of that. But, but on the other hand, man, if you just trust God, you know, I, I look now at where God's brought us to. And man, God's been so good to us. He's, he's blessed us, you know, not to say there's never been hard times, but, but he's been so good to us. And, uh, you know, I left to, to go into full-time ministry. I left, uh, I took probably a 20% pay cut to, to go into ministry when I went into full-time ministry. Uh, but I can sit here today and say, God not only has made up that, it, it's well beyond that, what God's done in, in bringing my family along. And so, uh, 
man, the Lord's just been so good to us. And just depending on him and trusting that he's going to provide. And I think that's where a lot of the breakdown is for, for a lot of young people. I think they're young people that probably God begins to work in their heart and begins to call them to ministry. They say, man, I, I don't know if I can take that step. I don't know if I can do that. And I don't know if God will provide for me. And I, and, and it comes right back to that. Do, do we really believe that God's way is best? Do we believe that his will uh, is always right? And so I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. They look at money that can be made and money that. Well, and, and just, <laughs> yeah, just, just to illustrate it. So, yeah. so for us as a church, we were looking for, uh, you know, an assistant pastor, we were getting to the point where we were growing. We were looking for an assistant pastor. Uh, I approached just about every Bible college, every good Bible college out there. And I said, look, we, we have an opportunity that we can bring you in. We can, we can help to train you in areas of ministry uh, at this point in time. And this was a couple of years ago. I said, we're, we're not able to provide us full salary, but we can definitely provide for your housing. We can get you connected with a job here in the community to provide uh, for the rest of your needs. So you probably would only need to work a part-time job. And uh, we put that out there to every Bible college. And brother, I didn't have one single serious response. Wow. And that lets me know the state of, uh, of you know, and, and again, that's it's kind of painting with a broad brush a little bit, but but it also, I mean, it's reality. That yeah. There were all these young men who saw something like that, and instantly they said, nope, not for me, right? Because they were waiting for the position that has the full-time salary yeah. and the large ministry and, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I think that, that for me was a clear indicator of kind of where we're at. And, um, you know, it seems, seems to me that there's a lot more interest in being comfortable than really pursuing the will of God. A hard thing to say. Yeah, it, it is. And it's unfortunate but because uh, you, you wonder how, how many of these guys and young ladies and, and some of these folks are, are, are missing the opportunity God has before them because they look at it and they say it doesn't look appealing. Right? It doesn't have the appeal that a larger ministry or a full-time salary would have when God would bring them into that ministry and man, and now here we are, you know, we put that forward and even in the, uh, in the, uh, details of what we put out there. I said, Hey, there, there's a very good chance that in the short term future, we could bring you full-time on staff. And, uh, but still, even with that caveat in there, nothing, no response. I mean, I, I had a conversation with a few different guys, but as soon as I kind of made that clear, no interest. Right. And, uh, you know, the Lord did work and and now we're in a position, we, we have a guy that's full-time and, uh, you know, the Lord's blessed. And, uh, you know, the, it had somebody come on staff with us at that time, they would have only been part-time for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but people don't look at it from that perspective. It's like nope, just yeah. just uh, not that option because there there's got to be something better out there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about books? You got any couple books you could recommend? Uh, books? Is that what you said? Sorry, I had somebody somebody peeking no, off the series. So. Yeah, <laughs> uh, full time guy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, r- right now I'm reading uh, probably the best book that I've read on preaching, and that I, I've you know I've read quite a few, but not. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say extensively. I, I don't read a ton of books on preaching, but uh, I'm reading uh, this this one right here, Brian Chapel. It's a Christ-centered preaching and uh, just has been an excellent read thus far. Uh, I mean, it's been really, really good. A lot, a lot of good, uh, very, very practical material. Uh, just been really good just from that that aspect of sharpening, uh, you know, the, the preparation and delivery of, uh, of the messages, outlines and things like that. So that one's been really helpful. Um, 
probably probably one of my favorite books that I've read kind of on, along the lines of something a little bit more on the, on the spiritual side of things uh, is uh, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Uh, and uh, it's kind of the life of Hudson Taylor. Have you ever read that book? Uh, I believe I have. Yeah. It is a great, great book. Just uh, man to see how God worked in his life and, and just all the things that he endured and uh, just remained faithful to the Lord is, is such a testimony. Yeah. So it's been really good. Yeah. Well, brother, if you don't mind, close in prayer and I uh, thank you for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Our Father, we just thank you for the day. We thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. We just thank you that, uh, Lord, even after uh, being in your word and even being in ministry for, for a number of years, God, that you just continue to work in our hearts and in our lives. And Father, we're so thankful for the encouragement we get from the scripture and Lord, how you strengthen us, how uh, oftentimes you confront us. And Lord, we're just thankful for that because we stand in need of it. Lord, I pray that you'd help uh, me and help any who uh, might have the opportunity to hear this, Lord, to Come to the place, Lord, we would recognize that uh, we, we may have been successful in the past, but Father, we uh, cannot depend upon ourselves and we must come to the place where we depend upon you. Uh, and uh, Lord, we stand in such desperate need of you. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to come to the place where we actually believe what you have said, that without you, we can do nothing. And so, Father, just pray that you bless all those that would have the opportunity to listen into this. Father, just help them, strengthen them. May they be encouraged by what they hear. And Father, just pray that you'd work in hearts and lives through it. And we ask all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen.